find him. He said, but he knows the way that I take. And I guess if I've got to make a choice, I'd rather God knows where I am all the time than me know where he is all the time. And uh, it's so good to be with you today. Thank you so much for coming. And uh, we've already had a great day. And it's been such an interesting week and wonderful things have happened. And uh, I'm really looking forward to praying with you tomorrow. So it's just been a good time. Let me read a verse to you. It's in Job 42 and verse 10. And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. Also, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. So I want to teach you something called blessed while I am blessing. Okay? God bless you. You may be seated. Every one of the gospel writers mentions the very serious uh, Jesus talked about he's going to go away. Talked about the things that were going to happen and then the signs that would be there that would show his return. Every one of them did it. Matthew 28 Mark 13, Luke 21. John really starts at verse 14, or chapter 14. He said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And pretty much that John does more of it than anyone else. And... Um, there's, there's, there's a verse, I could, I've got a lot of verses here, but... The, it's in the book of Luke 21, and it says one of the things that is going to be such a billboard and a marquee to us about the coming of the Lord is he said men's hearts are going to fail them for fear. And uh, uh, heart disease is the number one killer in the United States. And, uh, but this is, this is not talking about plaque on your arteries. This is... Fear killed people. And uh, that's a... I'm not telling you how to vote. I I wouldn't do that. Um, I I say it doesn't matter. It does matter. But I, I don't care who wins this presidential election. Some of this stuff is not gonna go away. We are living in a time of fear. Uh, Lots of fears. Uh, It's something that I call the teenager. Uh, 19, COVID-19, teenager. A lot of people terrified of this virus. As a pastor, we're doing our best to not be frightened, but not be foolish either. So we're doing the best we know how. And uh, there's a Fear of markets crashing, jobs disappearing, not coming back. There are fears that people, fears of change and fear of loneliness and rejection and getting hurt, fear of not being adequate and fear of being judged. And how about this one? The fear of the loss of freedom. (laughs) By now you are aware that there was a plot to kidnap our governor 
take her to an obscure place in the Wisconsin woods and put her on trial because there were some fellows that were convinced she was taking away our freedoms. And uh, I was in a large sporting goods store two weeks ago. I was doing a men's conference out by Claire, and there's a large place, Jay's, it's called. It's a Michigan thing, but it's big. And uh, it stunned me because they have these display cases. And I took pictures of it, case after case after case. They're empty. No guns. They don't have any guns for sale. These, these, these display cases are 20 feet long, have three shelves in them, you, 20, 25 guns per, per rack. No guns. And even if you can get the gun, good luck trying to find the ammunition. And uh, it, it's just, they're afraid. They're afraid. And uh, I, I, I've heard it, and I've been guilty of repeating it. This is the ugliest election ever. Um, I... That's not accurate because, um, you know, George Washington was voted in unanimously. <laughs> That'll never happen again. But uh, um, uh, John Adams, of course, was number two. Jefferson was number three. Adams and Jefferson were good friends for a long time. Um, <clears throat> when they were in Paris together, they, they were very, very good friends. But um, uh, they had a massive falling out. And... Um, it was politics, and uh, it's a great story about Jefferson and Adams. Fifty days to the day, fifty days to the day, July the 4th. Adams and Jefferson died on the same night. And, uh, of course, no internet, no Facebook the, the riders, the horse riders carrying the, had to cross one another somewhere between New England and Virginia. And uh, Jefferson's, or Adam's last words apparently were, well, at least Thomas Jefferson's still alive. And uh, they, uh, they were friends. They uh, fought. They made up when they got out of office. But... Uh, Jefferson always had a, a young black man with him whose name was Tom Hennings, and, uh, or Bob, rather, Bob Hemings. And Adams had this sneaking suspicion it was Jefferson's son. And, and of course, DNA has proved that uh, it was his son. Uh, Jefferson's wife died when he was quite young, and she wasn't. She made him swear on her deathbed that he would never marry anybody else. So he didn't, but uh, that doesn't mean he didn't uh, find a, a comfort in several other places. But uh, uh, you should read what they said, what Jefferson and Adams said about one another back in the 1800s. It's, it's just as crazy as what's going on right now. So this is not the worst it's ever been. And, uh, but it's ugly. It's ugly. I, uh, I saw this first debate, and I, I'm thinking, what do other world leaders think about these two men that we've got to choose one of these people to be our next president? And I'm going, it just looked like two kids up there fighting, and it was, it was disappointing to me. And uh, 
It's where we are. And, uh, but regardless of who becomes president, the, the, a lot of this rage and this anger, it's not going to go away. And, and, and uh, um, I, I, I think the greatest danger, I want, I want you to, uh, God help me to get this across to you today. The greatest danger we face is not fear. The, the, the greatest danger that we face is uh, ambivalence. It's just uh, not even willing to consider the opportunity to fail or succeed. That's worse than being afraid. And when you get to the point where uh, you're, you're either wondering or even dead set against even trying, whatever it is, that, that's, that's bad. When we get to a place where we're not willing to engage our hands to do something or even live our faith, um, that's a worse place than fear. And uh, it's, it is not possible to have strength without resistance. Some things we resist, some things we re- resist us. But the word is very clear. We are commanded to resist Satan. We're commanded to do that. It's in James chapter 4. And uh, um, re- re- resisting fear is, is, is what we do when, when fear tells us you can't do that. Because in almost every endeavor, strength is built incrementally. It's built over time, not just one session. And what what we may not do in a day, we can accomplish with time. And uh, not because there's no fear, but but in the face of fear, through uh, faith, to resist and overcome what what you realize is a lie. Uh, that thing that says you can't do it, you can't do it, you can't do it. And then you do it and you go, oh, uh, I haven't been to Washington, D.C. since my girls were little. I, I really enjoy going there. And um, it's known as the city of monuments. And um, you've got Washington Spire. You've got Jefferson's... Uh, domed tribute and Lincoln's temple and the Vietnam Memorial, if you've ever go there. The Vietnam Memorial is the only memorial in Washington, D.C. where there are no steps. A lot of those fellas, wheelchairs, they made it. It's called the Wall That Heals. And um, uh, if you've never been and you get a chance to go, go. But as you drive around that circle in Washington, D.C., there is something that every one of those monuments and memorials have in common. Nobody, nobody builds a tribute to someone who said, I don't think we can do that. Every one of those things, someone said, we could do that. When you read about them signing the Declaration of Independence years ago, Franklin said something powerful. He said, we better hang together, fellas, because if we don't hang together, we will hang separately. And uh, uh, have you ever overcome a fear in your life? It's, 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 it's a liberating experience. 
And uh, near as I can tell, children uh, have two fears when they're born. Fear of loud noises and fear of being dropped. And a lot of the fears that are in people are uh, things that we've imposed in their lives. And uh, I, I, I'm so proud of you and the way you interact in this church and all of the different nationalities and cultures that we have here. We're going to have a, 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 a day soon. We celebrate all of that again. All you got to do is go back in that nursery and watch how them kids interact with one another. None of those prejudices are, are there. It's all taught. It's all downloaded into them kids. And, and if I, well, the greatest fear that I ever had was drowning. And I, I, I guess when I critique myself, it has a lot to do with the way my dad taught me how to swim. Uh, we had a place where we lived in, in West Virginia, and there was a big rock, and there was a, a very fast stream, very deep, a lot of current. As near as I could tell, I was eight. I think I was eight, possibly nine. My dad said, do you know how to swim? And I said, no. He said, well, there's no better time than right now. And he just grabbed me by the seat of my pants and threw me in the water. And, uh, <clears throat> and I just still remember just going down. <laughs> And uh, I made it, but uh, Harry, had a, you know, he's, he's not the most subtle of teachers, and uh, <laughs> it, was, it was tough. And uh, so I always had this fear of drowning, and we ended up in Japan, and I saw this ad said, would you like to learn how to scuba dive? I was like, yeah, I'd like to do that. But all the time that I dove, every time... Especially at the beginning when I hadn't been there for a while. When I jumped in that water, it was just like, I cut my finger off years ago with a saw. And to this day, every time I turn on a saw, I have this thing that goes up my spine. So uh, I'm very careful with saws. And uh, jump in that water. But I remember the day I was somewhere about 90 feet. I was in Mexico. And I looked at my gauge, and I didn't have a lot of air left, and I knew it was time to go back. And this sense of peace just came over me, and I realized I had a lot more time than I thought I did. And I lost my fear of drowning. And it just, it was gone. And I I, unless you've experienced overcoming some kind of fear, it's hard to verbalize just how liberating that is to overcome something that just terrified you for years. And if, if you read it closely, David became a, a, a national hero when all he was really doing was checking up on his brothers. His two brothers were in the army. His dad wanted to know how they were doing. So it says, uh, Samuel, carry these cheeses. So uh, David's uh, dad basically gave him a bunch of cheese sandwiches and said, here, take it to the troops. And he goes to check on his brothers. And, and they're, they're, they're castigating him, said, what are you doing here? You're supposed to be with them few sheep. What are you doing here? And all of a sudden he hears this 
loudmouth saying, send me a man to fight. And David saw the, the, the terror in his brothers and, 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 and just the horrible fear, that, that, that the depression that was on that army. And he made that famous statement, is there not a cause? And I can't find anywhere in the Bible where anybody ever asked David to fight Goliath. He just volunteered. And, and he, David could have simply said what I hear way too much of right now. It's not my problem. You know, not my problem. The Bible is filled with examples of people that the Lord challenged to come out of their comfort zone and to see beyond themselves. One of the best stories to illustrate this is Gideon. Gideon is one of the judges, and, and the Bible calls him the greatest of the judges, even though our first introduction to him is he's hiding behind this machine that, that squeezed juices out of grapes. And the angel said, you're a mighty man of valor. And he says, and yeah, you. Because there's these thugs by the name of the Midianites who had a nasty habit of showing up every time it was ready to harvest the corn and the wheat. And they'd swipe all the stuff in the field. And he's hiding behind this press trying to just get a little bit of grape juice out. And, 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 and God chose him. And he recruits 32,000 guys to join his cause. And God says, I don't think so. And whittles them down to 300. So 30, start out with 32,000, you end up with, that's less than 1%. Uh, that, that's, that's mm. but those 301 men shouted and shined and God used them to bring a miracle. There's this story where they, they, he, he, one of the guys sneaks up to the tent of the Midianites. And two of them are talking. And this one said, dude, I had, I had a wild dream. Really? What was it? He said, I saw a big loaf of bread roll down the hill and just mowed us all down, man. And he said, it's Gideon. <laughs> and I'm going, how do you get Gideon out of loaf of wonder bread? How do you do that? But they were just, it was amazing. And he realized, he, he, God's going to help us. And, and I could tell you story after story, but I don't have time. The, the truth is that if you want a victory in your life, there, it's often going to be wrapped up in being a part of somebody else's deliverance. That if you want to be blessed you're going to have to start blessing. That's where the blessing is. While I bless, he'll take care of me. And, uh, you know, we're told in the word to resist Satan. You can't resist anybody if you don't have strength. So the question is, if I'm going to resist Satan, you know, I've heard people say, uh, I'm, I met the devil, and I, I don't mean to be derogatory, but I'll see, see, the Spirit of the Lord is omnipresent everywhere, but Satan is not an omnipresent spirit, okay? 
So I hate to disappoint you, but neither you nor I have ever met Satan. Now, we might have met a sergeant. We might have met a lieutenant, someone in the higher echelon of his army. You haven't met Satan, and neither have I. When you deal in that level of the spirit, you're dealing with big stuff like life and death, not girlfriends, you know, can I get this car? I, I, I've seen lots of stuff called the will of God over the years. And, 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 and it's just, if you're going to, but, but this says resist Satan. So if you're going to do that, you, you, you're going to have to get some strength. You, you know what fascinates me about Samson? There's not one verse in the Bible that talks about his muscles. I mean, he could have been a, you know, had a 26-inch waist and bony arms. I don't know. Just when the anointing came on him, dude could do anything. I'm not convinced Samson looked like Schwarzenegger. I, I, I think he could have just been just a regular schlub like the rest of us. <laughs> I, I just, it's just that anointing. I've heard people say, oh, the anointing will break the yoke. That's not what it says. It says the anointing will destroy the yoke. So when that one gets destroyed, he said, now take my yoke upon you. If you've ever seen yokes, they're never single, they're doubles. And that's what's so cool about it. You and I are in the harness with him. See, he's doing all the heavy lifting. Take my yoke upon you because my burden's light. Why? Because I'm carrying all your stuff. You're just going along for the trip. And it's, it's not that we're working for him, we're working with him. See? They went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the words, signs following. And it's just an honor to be in the harness with Jesus. Because you can run in hell with a squirt gun if you got Jesus with you. You know? He, he's a majority. It's, and so, so I, I, I'm trying to wrap my mind around this. Where do you get strength to fight Satan? And, and the answer's in Nehemiah. And you gotta, you gotta do a little history. They, they, Solomon built this amazing church house. And um, I've even read books that said you probably couldn't even afford to build Solomon's temple today. Cabillions of dollars. And so they go into captivity and Solomon's temple is destroyed. And they're in captivity for 70 years. I wish I could talk. There's so much history, but I, I, I can't chase rabbits right now, okay? It's just, uh, um, so um, the prophecy was you're going to be in captivity for 70 years. So they get out, and they build a church called Zerubbabel's Temple. It's in Nehemiah. Now, it doesn't look anything like Solomon's Temple. But we're not talking just young people. You got people 70 years old. All they ever knew was captivity. So they've never had a church. So when they see this temple, Zerubbabel's temple, they're ecstatic. We can finally publicly worship Jehovah without anybody, you know, doing anything to us. And so they are just having a big old time. Woohoo! We got a church house. Yahoo. Well, there were older guys there that had seen Solomon's temple. So you're talking about people over 70, you know? I don't know how long people lived back there, but I guess 90, 95. That's so, 
They, 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 they could have possibly been 20, 25, and they saw some. So they're bawling their eyeballs out. And they're saying, you bunch of dumb hillbillies, you call this a church? You should have seen a church I used to go to. Wow. This is a corrugated tin shack compared to where I used to go to church. And so the old men are bawling their eyeballs out. And the young ones are ecstatic. And Nehemiah gets in the middle of this argument. And this is what he said. Go your way. Eat the fat. Drink the sweet. Send portions unto them for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy unto our Lord. Neither be ye sorry. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. There's a famous chapter in Deuteronomy. It's called the blessing and the cursing chapter. And, and it's that one that says, you know, you'll be the head, not the tail. You'll be on top, never beneath you. you, you you're going to be the lender, never the borrower. And, and I'll bless your basket and your store. And it's great blessings are there. But that only is at about a third of the chapter. The rest of it is the cursings. And there's this terrible cursing in Deuteronomy where it says, you're going to lose your kids. And it's going to be so bad that even the heathen are going to make fun of you because of the way your kids deserted you. It said, you're going to look down the road longing for them to come back, and they're never coming back. And then it says this, for you serve not the Lord your God with gladness of heart. You, you, you don't want to be a Pentecostal that acts like seven mother-in-laws moved in with you last week. See, if Satan could read your mind, he'd be God. He can't read your mind. But he can hear what you say. And he can watch what you do. So you've got to trick him. That's why the Bible says, Therefore with joy shall you draw, not drink, draw, Nothing's coming out of the pipe yet. You're, you're pumping. Therefore, with joy shall you draw water out of the well of salvation. And in that day, say, praise the Lord. Not when it's coming out. but when, I, I used to go hunting with my dad a lot. And uh, it was just, I have great memories of being with my dad in the woods. And we would go all day. We would leave at daylight Saturday. And we'd go all day. And we didn't come back till dark. And... And, and, and there was this farm, there was this old abandoned farm that had this well, and the well was still good. And we always looked forward to it because it was about halfway in all those miles that we would walk. And my dad would get that thing and go, bom, 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 bom. and you don't need the gifts of the spirit if you can hear, you know, and you could hear that thing on do, 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 do. And, sh- and sooner, after a while, this beautiful crystal clear water would splash out of that well. And it was, it was just wonderful, very refreshing. That's my mental model of what we're dealing with here. They're, they're, I used to call it old number 397B. Every time it seemed like I'd get close to God, Satan would go through the file cabinet and go, oh, this one always works. Old number 397B and throw that in my life and I'd just be a disaster. Did you ever, did you ever notice that? You start getting close and all of a sudden he gets, he gets really upset. And, 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 and <laughs> it's just 
you you got to learn to smile when you might be dying on the inside. The Bible said, strengthen the feeble knees. Take them hands that are hanging down and hold them up. So the Bible said you got to lift up your head, lift up your hands, lift up your voice. Why? Because we have the privilege of lifting him. Isaiah said he was high and lifted. So we, we, we have the privilege of lifting him with the way our body. It says glorify God in your spirit and in your body, which are his. Don't give me all this mumbo jumbo about being spirit filled and you don't know how to do this. No, 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 no. That, that, that's Greek for baloney. <laughs> it's, it's nuts. It's nuts. I, because I, see, Satan throws this thing in your life and said, well, get it. This one always works. And you end up at church with your hands lifted up. And he's going, shoot. That one always works. And you might be inside. Did you, ever, did you ever have stuff that you still want to do it, but you know if you do, with all the consequences? That's what Paul said. He said, I never got rid of the desire to want to do it. Evil's always with me. I mean, I, I could tell you stories about Renee and I. I got to be real careful about all that. <laughs> it just, it's, it's, it's a marriage thing. I think you understand what I'm dealing with here right now. It's just there's some stuff I still like to do, but if I do, mm, not, not a good idea. And, and so, <laughs> you've got to trick them. That's why life and death are in the power of the tongue. If you say the wrong stuff, he's going to go, oh, it's working. If he's using it's working. So, you trick them. You, you have joy while you draw. And in that day, praise the Lord. And him going, what gives? This always took him down to, oh, why? Watch. Look at the phrase, joy of the Lord. I, I know what brings Harold joy. You know, it's, I wish it was fall for four months. I mean, this is my favorite time of the year. I love this time of the year. You, I had some friend call me from Florida the last week, and he said, are you, are, you, are you freezing to death yet up there? And I said, man, Jesus just walked through the woods with the pallet. You should see. We, I saw trees pink this past. Not red, pink. I, I remember seeing pink maple trees. Pink maple trees. I don't know if it was the lack or abundance of water in the spring. All I know is right now, just enjoy being in Michigan. They don't have this in Georgia. They got pine trees. Trust me, it's just green. Whoa. You know? Man, that's a lot that's that's variety. Whoa. It's just hickories and eight maples and oaks and ah. Oh. It's just, I just wish it was, do you know that these colors that you're seeing, that's their real color? I didn't know that. Chlorophyll, that green stuff, that's what turns everything green. Well, when the weather starts changing, that starts going into the roots, and it reveals their true colors. You know, it's why it's called fall. 
Because that's what it's going to do right now. All them things are going to fall. That's why they're called leaves. Because that's what they're going to do. They're going to leave. Trust me. I, I, I mean, when I was a kid, I would get the most brilliant red that I could find or yellow, whatever, and I'd put them in books. And, and you open it two months later, and it's just brown. You can't capture that. So before the colors fade, you got to enjoy this right now. Go get some cider and donuts. Take a drive around. Smell that air. Look at them leaves. It's nice, man. It's nice. And I just, I, I, I love this time of the year. And, and, and that brings me joy. You know, I, I went with some of the fellows this week in the woods. And, and, and I had these deer underneath of me. And they said, why didn't you shoot them? I said, I just enjoyed sitting up there looking around. I've shot lots of stuff in my lifetime. I just, I just was happy to be in the woods. Just, it's a hillbilly thing, I guess, going back to being a kid. But that smell and those colors and that frost in the morning, it does it for me, man. That recharges me. But that's not the joy of the Lord. What brings him joy? Now, here's what fascinates me. The Bible makes a distinction between joy and gladness. It's in Psalms 51, the, the repentant prayer. He said, make me to hear. Other translations says, would you please help me to know the difference between joy and happiness? See, see when I think of the fruit of the Spirit, you know, when I think of an apple, I, I don't think of a box of apples. I think of an apple. You know, when I think of a, a, a pear, you know, I, 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 I think of it as an individual. But when I think of the fruit of the Spirit, I think of grapes, a cluster of grapes. It's a package deal. Nine fruit of the Spirit. I've, I've actually met people who say, I got four of them fruits. I'm working on them other five. It, it doesn't work that way. If you got the Spirit, that's the fruit that's supposed to come because of spirits in our life, you know. And it's in Galatians. It, says the, it doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is love, grin. It doesn't say the fruit of the Spirit is love, happiness. It says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. And, and so we need to understand that because l- listen to this verse. Here, here's, here's what fascinates. It's, it's in Hebrews. It said, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, the shame, and the pain. It's, it's looking unto Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him. I, I cannot possibly combine laughing with Calvary. I, I, I can't wrap my mind around a Jesus hanging on a cross grinning. But the Bible said he had joy. Why? Because joy is not showing how much gum you got above your dentures. Joy is something else. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit that gives you resolve to get something done. What was it that gave him joy? What was set before him? What's that mean? That means the reason Jesus was able to despise the, 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 the shame, I mean, you're naked in front of everybody, and enduring the pain, the reason he was able to do that was he knew on the other side of that is you and me. On the other side of that, he's going to get a cross. 
that he never had, or a church that he never had before the cross. And that's what, so remember it talks about there's 99 sheep safe in a barn, and he's counting, you know, 97, 98, 99. Okay, start all over again. 91, 92, 99. He locks the barn door and goes out and finds this one sheep hanging by its hoofs on the side of a cliff. Reaches down, swipes that little dude out, puts him on his shoulder, and he said he comes back rejoicing. What brings God joy more than anything else is others. He's in the saving game. So, put it together. You've got to resist Satan. You're not going to do that without strength. Well, how do I get stronger? You need to get the joy of the Lord. What's that mean? It means you get involved in someone else other than your own carcass. That's right. it, it, it means, I mean, think of it. Why do we even have the Holy Ghost today? Why do we even have the benefit of his blood and his name washing our sins away? It wasn't for him. Everything he did was for someone else. There's a famous, it's uh, Isaiah 61. When Jesus preached his first sermon in Luke chapter 4, he read Isaiah 61, and it goes like this. Spirit of the Lord's on me. He's anointed me. What for? Preach good tidings unto the poor. Not me. That's him. Opening of somebody else's prison. Taking away somebody else's bruise. There's seven things mentioned there. Everything, his whole ministry wasn't for him. I mean, he's been fasted 40 days then. Turn that rock into a nice big old cinnamon roll. And he said, no, I'm not using my anointing for my own grandizement or my own satisfaction. Boy, isn't that different. Did you ever see that verse that said, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence and the violent take it by force? I, I, I'm a young preacher. Man, I'm preaching that, you know, you got to be violent. You got you to go for it. Doesn't mean that at all. This is what it says in the original language. The kingdom of heaven is suffering because self-centered men are using the kingdom for their own profit. <laughs> I want to know who's right. All these self-styled mercenary prophets on TV... It says, you know, uh, uh, their whole message is, there's a blessing coming your way. Give me your money. That's it. Every politician's got planks in the platform. Those, there's only two planks. Blessing's coming. Give me the money. That's it. I want to know who's telling. I mean, if you give, you're going to get all this stuff. You know, you get to go shopping in Somerset. Forget Lakeside. Forget Northland Mall. You're going to the high rent district over there, dude. You're going to you're you're, you're going to Saks Fifth Avenue, and and you 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 you're, you're going to have the finest. You're going to live in the snootiest part of town. You're going to have everything you want. See, my my problem is I believe the gospel ought to be universal. I've preached all over the world. You can't preach stuff to people in Bangladesh. It doesn't work. 
They don't have any stuff. So I want to know who's telling the truth. These guys that say, if you serve God, you're going to get all this stuff. Or Jesus who said, if you get too much stuff, it's going to be really hard to get in the kingdom. <laughs> Somebody's lying here. I'm going to take my chances with Jesus. You know, I was debating a college guy years ago in Texas. And he said, you know, every, every religion in the world has the story of a man and a boat and a flood. I said, I don't disagree with that. He said, well, how do you explain it? I said, Jesus said the guy's name was Noah. And I said, if Jesus said the guy's name was Noah, dude's name was Noah. I don't care what anybody else says. That's what the word says. I'm debating this guy. And I talk, I talk about when the Lord filled me with his spirit and changed my life. And he gets up and he said, that's it? You're, you're expecting me to debate a personal experience? He said, I got nothing to say. I said, I know. Because you can't prove a negative. You can only prove a positive. You can prove something did happen. You can't prove something didn't happen. Don't tell me I didn't get the Holy Ghost. I really did. Don't tell me my sins can't be washed away. They really did. And so uh, I would just hate to be in the spot of some of these people defending this, this, this torn and tattered Bible that they've just patchworked together. You know Jefferson did that? It's called the Reader's Digest Bible. It still exists. Jefferson didn't want any mention of hell, and I can understand why. And he didn't want any mention of judgment or anything like that. He took some Psalms, and he took some of the parables, and he made his own Bible. But at the end of his life, he told John Adams, who was a very devout man, he said, you were right. I was wrong. It, it, it's just, watch, folks. You've you got to get this lesson. Let me ask you a question. Please find me one verse where Saul of Tarsus ever wanted to change. I'll, I'll give you a cabillions. I don't have cabillions. That's how confident I am you ain't going to find it. There's no place in that Bible where Saul of Tarsus ever had any remorse. He did. We, we got this watered-down, dumbed-down version of him in Pentecost that he hooked people up and, and they made bail on Monday. He said he killed people. There's some people who believe that was his thorn. There's some people who believe the guilt that he felt from that he carried all of his life. I don't know. All I know is this is a guy that, that, that has, he's, you know, stock of Benjamin, circumcised the eighth day as concerning the law. I was perfect. On and on and on you could go. And so why, I mean, why did, why did God choose Saul or the apostle Paul? Same guy. Why, why did he choose him? I'm convinced of one reason. Prayer of Stephen. They lay all their coats at the feet of Saul of Tarsus, and then they're stoning this guy to death. And I think when they do that, it's like Jesus goes over to Gabriel and he said, hey, where's the lights? And he said, what? The lights, man, where's the lights? You know, them things, when I was on a mountain with them, guys, where's the lights at and the generators? Oh, no, boss, we'll find them. Well, go get them lights and, and get a couple of your pals and go hide behind them rocks on the Damascus road and wait for my signal. And all of a sudden, here's Saul of Tarsus in Acts 9, riding to Damascus to put Christians in jail and kill them. And all of a sudden, the Lord said, hey, you ready? <laughs> Hit it! Wham! No horse put his rear on the road. 
This is the glory of God that's manifested. My question is, why did God choose Saul? Because Stephen is not wondering about how many units of plasma it's going to take to give him a transfusion, how many sutures it's going to take to close up that wound. He's praying for somebody else. Read it. It's in the book of Revelation. John said, I saw one sitting on the throne. But Stephen, when he was stoned, he said, I see Jesus standing. Why? You're fixing, you're killing one of his young preachers. He gets up off of the chair and he's fixing to do something. And it's like Stephen says, sit down, boss. I got this. Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. When that happened, it put something in motion. That's why God chose Paul. Do you understand how crazy that sounds? I've been taught we're free will agents all of our life. That ain't what that says. That tells me that there's a place in the spirit where you can burglarize somebody's will and God can literally overwhelm them and change their heart. Boy, wouldn't that be a kick in the seat of the pants? I had a lousy week last week. I get, man, I'm the pastor for God's sakes. You know, I'm a good guy. I wake up Monday, I'm trying to build a house. I wake up Monday and, a, and, and some bum in Russia stole the money out of my account that I was wanting to finish up the house. And I'm going, what do I do now? So I run down to Chase and I meet this amazing lady named Sherry. And when I walk in and sit in her office, she just stares at me. And, and I, I said, is, is there anything wrong? And she said, your face is shining. I said, what? She said, your face is shining. So then Renee came in and she went, oh, got the same thing. She said, filled with Holy Spirit, aren't you? And I said, yep. She said, I was devout Muslim all of my life. She said, you know what? Jesus appeared to be in a dream, told me Islam was wrong that I should start reading the Bible and give myself to Christianity. She said, I'm a young Christian. But she said, I I saw it on you. As soon as you walked in, there's nobody else in this bank like you and your wife. I see that on you. And I said, you do? She said, "I, I, I, I said, Sherry, why did you leave Islam for Christianity? She said, intimacy. She said, there's no intimate walk with Allah, but with Jesus. He loves me. I feel that. <laughs> so, so she's, oh, while she's talking, she's tight. She said, are you ready? And I said, what? She said, watch. She flipped the screen around. She went, boom, bam. She said, we just stole it all back. It was like, I, I was just, I, I was just blown away, and I knew she had other people, so I went outside, got my truck, went down to the flower shop, bought beautiful roses and all kinds of stuff, brought this big, when I walked into the lobby, every woman in the bay goes, oh, and I go over to Sherry, and I put her on her desk, she starts crying, she said, I've been chased 18 years, nobody ever brought me roses, I come into your church next Sunday, and I said, fine with me, next Sunday, She'll be here. You know what she said to me? Listen to me. Brother Butcher, she'll love this. She said, there's thousands like me in this city. 
There's thousands just like me trying to get out of Islam. She said, let you and me pray that we'll have great harvest. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, God. I'm done. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me. Please hear me when I tell you the, 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 the problem's not the virus. The problem is what the virus is doing to us. Self-isolated, self-serving, self-involved, narcissistic Neanderthals, me, mine. It doesn't work that way. That's the real virus, the contagion, the pandemic that's gripping too many people. It's, it, 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 it's, it's, we gotta, it's, this is destroying. If we give in to this, if we give in this, or I, I can't even try. I don't have the courage to even try. We're going to destroy the would-be builders and the warriors of men and women and young women and young women if we don't get a hold of this and understand I'm not stopping what I'm doing. I'm going to stay involved in ministry. I'm going to stay involved in somebody else's life. Do you get it? You're not going to be blessed until you bless somebody else. I mean, we've been singing a song, God bless America. America, you need to bless God. We're in trouble, folks. We're in trouble. And it's not just Biden or Trump. This whole thing is changing my spirit. You're going to hear it more and more and more. Get ready, get ready. Get ready, get ready. Watch and pray. Watch and pray. Because in an hour that you think not, he's showing up like a thief in the night. The games are over. It's time to get serious about serving the Lord. And if you really want strength to fight Satan, it's not self-help. It's self-sacrifice. Jesus said, you save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you're going to find it. So what are you going to do? You're going to hide in your bunker? I'm not talking about your house. I'm talking about a mindset that says, I'm scared of everything. Fear's got torment. But perfect love casts out fear. I'm not saying you got to throw all your mask away and be stupid. What I am saying to you is, please, you can have a mask on your mouth, but don't let it muzzle your witness. You talk about friends. Joe's got three pals. One of them said, boy, you must have really done the granddaddy of all sins, Joe. You did something really, you ain't telling us, but I know you did something really bad. Dude, your farm's gone, your fortune's gone, your wife wants nothing to do with you. This is what the Bible said. And God turned the captivity of Job prayed for his friends and doubled everything that he had. Greg Vanderwater, talk to Greg Vanderwater. Greg Vanderwater has an amazing revelation about that verse. I don't have time to get, talk to Greg before you leave. It's, I never heard anybody say what Greg said to me today. Listen to me, folks. Keep your mask on, but if you would, come up here with me. You, you want to 
want to distance, I'm cool with that. I don't care. I'm just, just move. That's all I'm asking. Don't, don't stay in the same spot. Just, just by moving. It might just be a couple feet. I don't care. But you're saying something in the spirit. I'm not sitting where I was. I'm willing to make a change here right now. And this is what I want you to do. You may have a child in trouble, a son or a daughter in trouble. I, I understand. But what I'm going to ask you to do is to look around this room. There are people in this room right now that have got children. I want to see if you're willing to pray for their child like you would pray for your own. I want to see if you could intercede for their daughter like it was your girl. I want to see, and I, out of pastor and people, shepherd and sheep, can we get to a point <laughs> where we understand everybody wants a blessing, but nobody wants to get out of their comfort zone. The secret to being blessed by God is you'll be blessed while you're blessed. Would you raise your hand and pray with me right now? Lord Jesus. <laughs> oh, God. boy's in trouble. And I know his mom and dad don't know what to do. They've tried every ploy. They've done everything they could possibly do to convince the boy that what he's doing is wrong. And I know that every prodigal has to have an aha moment, has to come to himself. I'm praying for their son right now, Lord. Wherever that boy is right now, I'm asking you, God, to intervene and interrupt his life right now. If you can appear in a dream to Sherry, <laughs> if you can burglarize Saul Parsons' own dominant attitude, there is a place in the Holy Ghost, Lord, where you can rise above every barrier, every boundary, every hurdle, every enemy. I'm asking you, God, to let that spirit be in this preacher and to be in this church. But it's not just going to be about me for the rest of my life. But I'm going to do my best to invest in other people. I'm going to do my best. Whether it's time, whether it's talent, whether it's money, I don't care, Lord. I'm asking you to direct my steps so that I can be a beacon and people can see you Jesus, we come against the fear, the torment, the anxiety, all of this stuff that's just binding people, terrified to talk to anybody, terrified to say anything. What are they going to think about me? What are they going to say about me? <laughs> oh, Jesus, use us, please, to be an agent of change in this community and around the world. Hallelujah. Let's thank him together. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God.